Now this morning, we start on a very interesting and inspiring journey in the Scripture. We're going to look at the man Joseph, who, although he is not mentioned among the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, yet is one of those figures in the Old Testament that when you read about him, reminds you of Jesus. And we are going to look at Joseph's uh, problems in his family starting out. Then we're going to be looking at economic problems that happened in his life. Difficulties he encountered over which he had no control. Being thrown in prison though he was an innocent man. Finally being able to stand before Pharaoh and the brothers who sold him into slavery and say to them in this great witness of faith, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Now there's something you can hold on to in the life of Joseph. Sitting down with the patriarchs, you learn no more important truth than this. And we know, Romans 8.28 says... And we know all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Can you say amen? We are affirming with our amen the principal lesson of Joseph's life. Now, we're in chapter 37 of Genesis today. And verse 1 says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob, it says. Joseph, a young man of 17 was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them Now, Israel loved Jacob more than all his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, 
they hated him all the more. He said to them, I had a dream. We were tying sheaves out in the field. And suddenly, my sheaf rose and stood upright. Well, your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. The brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and moon and 11 stars bowed down to me. When he told it to his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground in front of you? His brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept this matter in mind. Joseph is a dreamer. Good for him. At 17, he's not very wise. Bad for him. He tells these dreams to his brothers. Why? And once they hear his dreams, they hate him more. Eventually, they're going to try to kill him in the rest of this chapter. Brothers and sisters, you live on planet Earth. Everywhere on this planet, there are problems. This Earth is no paradise. The land of Canaan was a land that flowed with milk and honey, the spies said. Well, I have been there, and I took a picture of the land of Canaan. There are times when you're in the land of Canaan, you wonder why God chose it for his chosen people. It's dry and rugged and rocky, and lots of it is desert. Much of it is below sea level. And water is precious in this land. It is no wonder that when the New Testament brought 
this truth about the promised land and the land of Canaan into the spiritual context of the teachings of Jesus. They interpreted the promised land as heaven. That we're headed for the promised land. Canaan is, is heaven. And one day we're going to be there with Jesus. And down here, all the land here has problems. All the terra firma that you walk on here, there is no paradise for you. Not on this globe. I remember a fellow arguing with my father when I was a boy. My father actually resigned his church last Sunday, by the way, at 80 and a half. He decided he was going to quit preaching. He had that spell, you know, and he was weak, and so he resigned. And I regret that because Dad knows the Scripture so well and knows the Lord so well and so passionately. And he's always been a blessing to his congregations and to his 13 children. And I remember him talking to a fellow who'd come by to see us. And this man was insisting that those who are righteous are going to inherit the earth. And dad said, you can have it. <laughs> yeah. Look. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob dwelled in tents. You know that, right? They lived in tents in that rugged land of promise. They drove their tent pegs shallow because they knew they'd be pulling them up and moving on. They were nomads. All their lives they moved from place to place and had no permanent dwelling here. But the scripture says that Abraham was looking for a city. This is Abraham, the patriarch, who lived in the land of promise. He was looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I was teaching about the rewards of following Jesus here just this week and how the sufferings of this present hour are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. And one of the saints players caught me after the devotion. And he said, you know, that glory that shall be revealed in us, is that talking about heaven? And I said, I really think ultimately it is. You know, that we are going to be the trophies of God's grace in heaven. We who have been saved by his grace and forgiven of our sin. Unlike the angels and ever other heavenly creatures, when we show up in the city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God, when we show up, human beings, sinners saved by grace, there's going to be a gasp in heaven. <laughs> And they're going to say, now there's a trophy of God's grace. David Crosby in heaven. Can you imagine? The sufferings of this present day are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. This earth is no paradise 
And every family has problems. I want you to take a deep breath about your family. The kids you're worried about. The spouse you're worried about. The parents you're worried about. And just know, every family has problems. Single adults thinking about your siblings, your grandparents. Every family has problems. Part of the reason that the story of the patriarchs is recorded in such detail is so we can read through there and be encouraged. Even with the mess we got. Then maybe it wasn't as bad as the mess Jacob had in his family. Some of you have been with us as we've sat down with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and some of you have come to me and said, what in the world? I never saw that before in the Bible. That family was messed up. It's true. That family was messed up. And there are a lot of ways in which it was messed up. And we could talk about them this morning. For a long time, the families of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the difficulties they endured. And what did I say the lesson is? Great is thy faithfulness. They meant it for evil. You meant it for good. Somehow God takes people like us. Families like ours. And uses us for his glory in the lives of people around us. And it's his miracle that he can do it. Because nobody knows what a mess we are like we do. Maybe you come to church and you look around at the families and you think, Oh God, all these perfect families and in me. No, not so. Troubles and trials in every home every family we put on a happy face we want to be joyful when we come into his presence the scripture says come into his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise and so we do but our joyful smile is not pretense as if we are saying hey we have no problems what about you no Every family has problems. Now, the family of Jacob had some things going on that are dark. And I want to point out just four of them, okay? Four syndromes that affected Jacob's family. And they run like dark lines through the history of this family. They are not simple things any more than there are quick fixes to the things that trouble your family. These are things that stayed with them and bothered them and from which they reaped a whirlwind of trouble. I'm going to start with the slavery syndrome. You say, well, that's a strange place to start, preacher. You hadn't been talking about slavery in the patriarchal family. 
I want you to notice something. When trouble comes with Joseph, it comes from the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. These are the boys that are mentioned in the second verse with whom Joseph is working in the field, tending the flocks. It's the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. And they, when they were little girls about the size of Kaylee, where are you, Kaylee? You here somewhere? Stand up, girl. Stand up for a minute. You see Kaylee right there? Think about Kaylee being sold into slavery. And this human being, with the imprint of God upon her, given to another little girl to be her maidservant the rest of her life. Think about that. Bilhah and Zilpah. We know where Leah is buried. She was buried in the cave of Machpelah. We have an account of Rachel's death when she gave birth to Benjamin. She was buried down by Bethlehem. We have no idea how Bilhah died or Zilpah died. When Jacob thought Esau might just kill the whole clan. He divided them into ranks based on who was least important to who was most important. And he sent them toward his murderous brother Esau. And the front group was two maidservants, Bilhah and Zilpah, with their sons. The next group was Leah with her sons. And the next group closest to Jacob was Rachel. It doesn't occur to us often that Billa and Zilpah had no choice in the matter of their family tree, who they lived with, what they did with their lives. I think it poisoned this family that paid so much attention to social rank and where you are in the pecking order. And this family reaped the wages of the sin of slavery with the hatred that occurred in it. You say, oh no, that couldn't happen. I don't think slavery was ever godly or good. And it left its mark and continues to leave its mark on human families and cultures everywhere it's been practiced, including in these United States. And if you said to me, preacher, what's wrong with Jacob's family? 
I'd say one of the things wrong with Jacob's family is not just polygamy. It's that he owns people. And that's wrong. And it sows seeds of frustration and despair in the hearts of those who live in it. You say, well, we don't see any evidence of that. We do in Hagar. Hagar, too, was a slave who ran away who cried bitterly, who hoped her son would die and thought he would die in the wilderness. Hagar suffered under the injustice of her bondage and enslavement. One of the things that troubles this family is slavery. Four sons born to Bilhah and Zilpah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. They're the ringleaders in the effort to bring Joseph down. We will see they want him gone. They want him dead. In the entire account of Joseph's being captured by his brothers and beat up and thrown into a well and eventually sold to slave traders. There are two sons mentioned by name. Both of them are sons of Leah. Reuben, the eldest, who tried to talk them out of killing Joseph, and Judah, the fourth son of Leah, who said to them, let's not kill him, let's sell him to the slave traders, and thus spared his life. I think these boys, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, lived in this home with a resentment and frustration. They experienced what I'm calling here the stepchild syndrome. They were stepchildren, children to the other mothers in the family. They were born to the slave ladies, the lowest on the totem pole. Their mother was not beautiful and favored Rachel, who always had the ear of their dad. Their mother was Bilhah and Zilpah, the slave ladies. There are many people in this room who deal with stepchildren. Children from another mother. Children from another father. And it is difficult sometimes to know how to be a mother or father to, to your stepchildren. And what Jacob did, and he did it blatantly... He ranked his kids. He said, Joseph and Benjamin, I love you the most. Here, Joseph, is a finely ornamented robe for you to wear like royalty wear here in the Middle East. You're my favorite son. Has the man lost his mind? Does he not know what's going to happen with his other boys? With this favoritism that he shows? Did he never see the story of Cinderella? 
You know, I mean, what's, what's going on with a man? You don't treat children this way. Okay, adults in the room. I know we can't spare the children and grandchildren, nieces and nephews that are in our lives. We can't spare them. All the difficulties that come from other mothers and other fathers and blended families and things. I know we can't fix all that. But we can do something and learn from this family. We can work hard every day with every word in every way to make sure all the children in our lives, whoever their mother and dad might be, that they are loved passionately by us. And they were on equal par with all the other children in our life. And they are of infinite value and worth in the sight of God. And we will not rank them and blatantly show favoritism that God condemns. Children, did I scare your ears right then? I mean, this is on my heart. I read this about Dan and Gad and Naphtali and Asher, and I think, what a fool Jacob was to so rank his sons. Lord, help us to love them all equally, fully, and well, and communicate to them over and over again, and over-communicate, and say it again and again, I love you. And you are favored by this parent, this grandparent, this uncle, this aunt. And you are not second class in this family. Joseph has his dreams. Dan, Gad, Asher, and Naphtali have their sorrows. Joseph has the favoritism of his father. And these boys of the maidservants, they have their father's tolerance. Don't let it happen. It's ungodly. It's unchristian. It's unlike Jesus. If I were to identify what happened in Jacob's family, I would say, Slavery poisoned this family. Treating his children unequally poisoned his family. And I would say also that the subjugation of women poisoned his family. I wasn't sure I wanted to go there this morning. But I went to a meeting for battered women some time ago and I showed up to a room full of people and they said now who are you I said I'm David Crosby pastor of First Baptist Church and the woman said she became all excited she said we're so glad you're here most of our clients are Baptists And suddenly I wanted to be invisible, you know. (laughs) 
I don't know if she'd done a scientific study, all right? <laughs> I'm not sure she actually knew this. But I know this. There are Baptist men who beat up on Baptist women. There are men who say they follow Jesus who have turned the beauty of submission into the ugliness of intimidation and subjugation of their spouses. Show me in this book where you are to subjugate your wife to you. I will show you in the beautiful spirit of Jesus how a Christian wife can submit and so follow the submission of the Lord Jesus as he laid down his life for us. I will show you how every follower of Jesus is called to submit to the other. But you will not find in here that you are to use fear and intimidation and your superior physical strength and threats of violence to manipulate the women in your life. And it stinks in the nostrils of God such behavior in the church of Jesus Christ. We got to learn again that in the family we all love one another. And the call to love your neighbor is most clearly tested and most deliberately shown in your relationship to your wife and your husband. What a great testimony the church of Jesus Christ will have in a world like ours where millions of millions of people every day are held down and denied education, denied citizenship and voting rights, denied all kind of things in our world right now. What a beautiful and wonderful testimony the church of Jesus Christ will have when it affirms that every woman on this planet is worthy of dignity and favor and grace and love. And when we affirm this, we follow in the footsteps of Jesus who scandalized his peers by talking to the woman at the well and many others had many a discussion about how he treated women with the rabbis of his day who didn't think the women had an intellect to have a theological conversation. It was a waste of time to talk to them. Not with Jesus. Jesus loved them so, valued them so, they loved to be in his presence. A band of them followed him everywhere he went. And it was a band of women that were last at the cross and first at the tomb. Why? Because nobody's been beaten down so on this planet like women whom God made in his image. And they are to be bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, the scripture says. Deserting father and mother and cleaving to your wife and cherishing her and loving her.
This family is poisoned by jealousy as well. We see that at every turn in the patriarchal family. They are jealous of one another. Sarah is jealous of Hagar. Hagar is jealous of Sarah. Rachel is jealous of Leah because she can have children. And Leah is jealous of Rachel because she has the ear and love of their husband. And so this jealousy poisons the family as well. And we ought just to note it, okay? The envy and jealousy we hold toward our siblings and cousins and other people in our family is slowly eroding and destroying the relationships we need to have. We resent them. We get bitter toward them. We are angry that they got a better deal than we did. And the anger, the resentment, the jealousy, the envy, those attitudes poison families. They also poison hearts. You want to carry that around with you all your life? You want that inside boiling up in you? You want that jealousy and envy fomenting in your heart? And those bubbles of poison surfacing in your mouth? Deal with it, my friends. Deal with it. Set aside the jealousy and envy. It doesn't belong in the heart of a believer following Jesus. It's killing us, not helping us. I would conclude by saying, identify and put to death the hierarchy of personal worth. We say in our church, the ground is level at the cross. I love that. I like it. I believe it. I believe it. That we are all valued and loved by the Father in heaven. And he loves as much the the child of his who walks in a distant place and speaks a different language as he does you sitting in the pew right now today. We are equally loved and passionately loved by the Father in heaven. This is the model we are to follow. And when we suffer from racism, social prejudices, somebody called it classism, where we look down upon people who have less than us. When we rank our kids and the women in our lives, and we show favoritism. We destroy the fabric of our families. Identify it in your life. If you look close enough, you might see it lurking there. A disdain for groups of people who are near or far away. A sense that you are better than other families, other individuals, other races, other peoples, that you are superior some way, it eats into your heart. And the pride that it brings is poison to your soul. It twists you, and it twists the soul of your family.
Everybody in the family needs to know they are equally loved and valued by the Father in heaven and by us. And there is no hierarchy here. There is no person who is of less worth than another. I heard somebody disputing the claim the founders made in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal. I said it's just not so. I think it's so. I do. I agree with the founders. All men are created equal. All men die equal. Right? I mean, that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes said. When you're dead, you're dead. Whether you had a lot or a little. So the grave is the great equalizer. But I think birth also. We are created equal. It took a while for our country to realize it's not just men created equal. It's all men. Black and white. And women too. All people created equal in the sight of the Lord. I think that's a truth that flows out of our faith in Christ. Paul said it like this. In Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Is that not beautiful? If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. How do you like that? Galatians, the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talking. No Jew and Gentile, no bond and free, no male, female, all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Is that not beautiful? A beautiful truth we are called to embrace as followers of Jesus. That he loves us all and loves us well. And calls us to himself. Even now. Even in this room. Today. Calling us out. Expressing his love. Drawing us near. Giving his promise. Asking for our response. Jesus says. I'm standing at the door knocking. If you open the door. I'll come in. Somebody needs to open the door. The apostle said, I beg you, brothers, present your body a living sacrifice. This is your reasonable act of worship. Somebody today, starting over, starting new, coming back to the Christ you left some time ago and saying, Lord, here I am, all I am. I want to be back. Let's bow together. Lord, we pray today that you would do your work in us, call us to yourself. Oh, God, forgive us when we poison our family with attitudes and actions that are not honoring to you, that set up an artificial hierarchy and create the resentment and frustration and despair we see in the biblical family. God, we pray that you will help us to follow you, to confess our sin, to come clean with you, and, Lord, bring healing to our families and our own hearts. And, God, call us today to yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.